Hey there, everybody. Welcome back. Another uh, podcast here. My name's Scott Durfee, joined as always by Dave Durfee. What's Good up? Good to be Dave? here, Scott. Important things to talk about today, and uh, thankful to be able to do that with you. Before we get started, I just want to thank those of you who have been sending emails, asking questions, and sharing insights, and encourage you to do that again or continue to. You can do that at heredeemsus at gmail.com, heredeemsus at gmail.com. Dave, we had a great podcast last week. We talked about a lot of really important, wonderful things, and today we're going to begin, or not begin, but continue our discussion around repentance, and I think today we're going to start talking about manifestations. Yeah, Scott, last week was kind of the heart, really, I think, of repentance, the crying out, which uh, some people just kind of, I think ignorantly almost uh, just skips over, you know, the people maybe not really crying out. And um, it, people who see repentance as a series of steps, usually that's not one of them. And uh, it often gets missed. And I think if it, in all the scriptural examples we looked at last week and my own personal experience, and I know the personal experience of many of our listeners who can relate to that crying out, uh, it, it should be seen as an absolute essential part uh, of repentance. Too many people in the church, Scott, and this uh, goes to kind of what we'd like to talk about today, relates to, to our subject today. Uh, too many people see repentance as kind of an institutional activity. They see it to be kind of through the church, and when things are right with the church, then they expect to be forgiven. I'm bearing witness today and will always that repentance is not an institutional activity. Repentance and forgiveness are not through the church. I remember uh, mentioning that to Elder Anderson, how many of my students at the Utah Valley University Institute of Religion, how they saw repentance or how they had been taught repentance really by the church, that it was an institutional activity through the church. And I remember that that really uh, that saddened him. And I also remember that, uh, you know, he gave me a, a book, a very thick book of uh, stories that had been collected over many years, 10 years, of him traveling throughout the church. He had been wanting to write the book that he eventually did called The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. And uh, he had compiled stories that he thought might be potential um, parts or stories that he would put in his book. Well, as I went through every one of those stories, I, I marked them, I, um, I tried to put them in categories, uh, what, what, was the real essence of each of those stories and the lessons learned from each of those stories. It was a little shocking how many people felt they were forgiven because they had confessed their sins to the bishop. And they felt like that was the final step of their repentance. And today, Scott, we're going to talk about confession and forsaking of sins. And I think these two actually go together. At least the Lord put them together, confession and forsaking of sin. 
in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, a great revelation given in Independence or uh, Zion or Jackson County, Missouri. On August 1st, they were dedicating this the temple site that day. They were having a meeting, and and uh, they're at the temple site. It's kind of fun to think about that because I was just there a few weeks ago again. But uh, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verses 42 and 43, we'll get us kind of into the, the meat of this subject, Scott. Yeah, uh, 42 and 43 of uh, section 58. Behold... He who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, will remember them no more. By this you may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. By this. I want to just focus on those words, those two words for a minute, Scott. By this ye may know if a man repenteth. Is that what it says, Scott? Yeah, yeah, exactly. By this... Ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. Well, as the Lord describes them there, those are manifestations of repentance. Those aren't repentance. You know, that you'll know if a person has repented because he'll be willing to confess his sins and he will forsake them. These are signs or manifestations of their repentance. Yeah. This is not the heart of repentance. These are manifestations of it. Uh, I, I that's how I read that, and that's kind of I think based on my experience with it, and my experience with so many who would come in and confess sins. Uh, repentance, really, at the heart, Scott has a foundational piece, which we talked about, which is really uh, understanding the role of the atonement of Jesus Christ exercising faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement. Uh, We talked about all the foundations of repentance. Last week we talked about the actions of repentance, right? We talked about the real real heart of it is to cry out to God and to, to acknowledge him and to acknowledge our... In fact, I think since we're talking about confession, Scott, too often we talk about confessing to the bishop and uh, too little... We talk about confessing to Jesus Christ or to God, our Father, of our nothingness and our absolute total reliance and dependence upon Jesus Christ. We, we, we are too short on confessing or acknowledging Jesus Christ in our lives, and sometimes we might be too long on confessing our, our sins. I mean, we, we see that confessing sins almost to be more important than confessing our dependence upon Jesus Christ and confessing his his uh, messiahship and being a savior and a redeemer to us confessing his suffering we don't do that enough so when we speak of confessing today I don't want to I don't want to just have people think that it we're talking about confessing to the bishop or those who have priesthood keys, although, Scott, we, we do not want to minimize that. That is so critical when it comes to certain serious sins. But, however, confessing includes confessing our need, confessing that we're not, not just our sins, but confessing that we are sinners 
and that without Jesus Christ, there's really no hope for us, and that we can't do it alone. Yeah, really a recognition of our own nothingness, right? Recognition, acknowledgement of our nothingness. If we go back to, uh, you know, the great discourse by King Benjamin, and, you know, where he talks about the natural man, and and uh, in there we, we he talks about how you know it's through our because of our own nothingness and and all of those things that that makes us so um, dependent on the power of Jesus Christ through His atonement. Yeah, we are. Uh, he and he says, "Remember your unworthiness." Yeah. Uh, Alma told the Shiblin, good Shiblin, yeah. righteous, yeah. righteous, steady Shiblin, you know, to remember his unworthiness always. Acknowledge his sins always before God. Uh, that's that's part of what we're talking about here, which is which is more of an attitude, right, Scott? Uh, maybe yeah. more of an attitude of our repentance, and not so much a step, quote unquote, step of repentance. Well, well I think that our repentance and, and having that attitude of repentance, and we talk about repentance as a process. That this is, and and we talk about how this is something that we should be constantly engaged in. We should constantly be in an attitude of repentance. So, yeah, you're right. This isn't just an event. This, uh, you know, and there are events included. We've talked about that. But just doing repentance is not just an event. It's an attitude. It's a way of life. It's a constant. You know, we talk about repentance, and, and we, as we define it, is a turning away from anything that's not of God and turning towards the Son so that through his power we can be redeemed and cleaned um, be, through our repentance. You know, that's an ongoing daily process. Uh, Elder or President Nelson's made that clear. Uh, all of the other prophets have made that clear, actually throughout time. Uh, and, and so we know that it's definitely a process. It's definitely that something that needs to be and should be on our mind and in our lives on a pretty constant basis, Dave. Well, daily. Yeah. Daily, and uh, and such a good point. I'm glad you're bringing it up, Scott, that it's a process, not an event. And it's really important in that regard to see repentance. Not it, It's not a sequential thing. It's not uh, these, these uh, foundations, uh, actions, manifestations. I, I don't want that to seem complicated or, or too prescriptive. Repentance is not prescriptive, and it's... It, the sequence it's not in this necessarily sequence as even as we're teaching it i mean somebody may cry out to god and that may be the first thing that they do right that may be the very first thing and then they build a they build a foundation uh, underneath From that. that that's right you know and then um, maybe may, maybe for some people maybe the first thing they do is they they go to their bishop and confess their sins and maybe that causes them to build a foundation. Maybe that causes a, a, a broken heart, contrite spirit, Scott. I, I, don't, I just don't want any of our listeners to see repentance as a sequential uh, process, Yeah, even. Okay. It is a process, but I don't want them to see it as being a sequ- sequential one. Well, and it's, and it's something that can't even really be prescribed. I mean, there's certain parts of it that, that will belong in the prescription. There's no question. There's certain crying out, for example, rec- recognize, a recognition of our own nothing. I think these are all essential parts. But they may not come exactly no. in the same order for every single they person. Won't. They absolutely will And not. it's important that we understand that because, right. because I think so often in the church, I'll, honestly, just so often in the church, 
I feel like the, it, things become prescribed, and it's not because of the church. It's because we're humans in the church, and as humans, we want prescriptions. We want checklists. We want a step-by-step uh, process. We want owner's manuals. We want all that stuff, even men. Right. We want all that stuff, and, and, if we don't, and if we can have that stuff, and if we can kind of put that stuff together from the teachings of the doctrine of the restoration and of Jesus Christ himself, we put those things together and, you know, they become, they appear as though they are a prescription or a checklist, but they can't be that. Right. Absolutely, Scott. And again, last week we talked about that absolute essential part of repentance, I believe, Scott, which again, some skip, which is crying out, that crying out to God that uh, asking for forgiveness and willing to put everything on the altar. And ultimately, one has to get to that point. Now, whether they confess and forsake and make restitution and do all that first, uh, everybody's different. their, Their experience... Everybody's experience will be different. Well, and their experiences on certain things will be different. It may be one way with this certain favorite sin, and it may be another way with another uh, character defect or sin or transgression or whatever you want to call it. But we may approach one set one way and another set a completely different way, depending on a lot of things. But while their experience is different, these are all pretty essential elements. Yeah. I mean, you can't, re- you cannot repent if you don't have adequate faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, understand His atonement, and uh, to acknowledge your nothingness before God. I mean, those are all just foundational. Yeah. yeah. And and then the actions. I just you have to get through all of this. You have to come to an understanding and to feel uh, these these principles in order to. Uh, I think. Uh, sometimes even start and for sure to complete one's repentance. But it must, it, it, we need to become converted. This is Elder Anderson. We need to become converted to daily repentance. This should be a daily thing, Scott. Too many of us see repentance as being some, uh, as a result of a serious effect or a serious event or mistake in our life. Uh, President Eyring uh, in a BYU-Idaho devotional. Let's see, I even have the date here. 21st September 1993, so a long time ago. It's a wonderful talk I recommend to our listeners called Surrender to Christ. And he said, don't think of repentance as something you do after you've made a serious mistake. Think of repentance as something you do every day. So ultimately, Scott... We should be living in a spirit or attitude of repentance, which is uh, the result of deep humility, deep, uh, uh, you know, really repentance is the deepest form, Scott, of worship. And we should be worshiping daily. And that should be to acknowledge our nothingness, our need, for Jesus Christ. This is all part of, I think, of just basic worship, and we should see repentance as a part of our daily worship, and to acknowledge the atonement of Jesus Christ, and to express our sorrow for our sins, which caused him such immense, incomprehensible suffering. 
you know, to to be able to really confess our sins to Him and acknowledge our acknowledge that, and then to seek to forsake and pray for the grace and the enabling power of Christ to be in our life, to, to strengthen us, to to ask for forgiveness, to uh, worship. Ultimately, Scott is and re, and this is repentance. I think worship and repentance are almost synonymous with me. But ultimately, it is a yearning, a reaching, a striving to become closer to heaven. That's that's ultimately what repentance, I think, is. And uh, so as we talk about confessing and forsaking today, based on that scripture you read in Doctrine and Covenants 58, 42, and 43, by this you will know if a man repenteth of his sins. He will, he will confess them and forsake them. I, w- I want to just um, maybe talk about something that Elder Renlund said um, six, seven years ago on, uh, in a conference talk. He said that there are four impediments to repentance. We haven't talked about these before, and they seem to fit here. The four impediments to repentance, Scott, are blaming others, turning ourselves into hapless victims. That's number one. That really shuts us down. If we don't, if we don't take responsibility for our, for our behaviors and our actions, I mean, we're all victims. Let's just get that out of the way. We're all victims. But if we blame, if we blame others or we blame uh, actions that have been forced upon us or blame being acted upon as the result of our sins, then it's really hard to repent. Second, minimizing our mistakes. This this is a big one to try to, you know, we we too often compromise uh, our mistakes and minimize them and not really see them for what they really are or to sometimes see ourselves for who we really are as as humans sinners um on this mortal earth uh, being tainted by sin every day we minimize we just sometimes minimize that scott third thinking our sins don't matter because god loves us no matter what thinking our sins don't matter because God loves us no matter what. Oh, I don't want to go too much off that, but that's I think a really that's a really that's a problem in our culture, Scott. That uh, everybody wants to believe God is love, and they don't want to acknowledge His laws. They want to think of Him as a God of love, and they throw out the His title as a God of laws and uh, think that just he loves all of his children. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis said about, he said, uh, you know, people don't want to think of God as a father who would discipline them. He wants, everybody wants to think of God as a grandfather who just wants to go out and play on the beach and and uh, play with the kiddies. Uh, I think he used the word play with the, play with his grandkiddies and, uh, and just let them go home and do whatever they want. Let somebody else take care of the problem, or eventually it'll just go away. Well, God is a father, and he's a father of laws, 
and he disciplines us. And that's for our growth and for our progression. Uh, The fourth one, discounting sin by dismissing God's authorship of commandments. So um, even the very definition of sin is minimized by individuals as, uh, you know, they don't want to think that they're breaking God's commandments or that he is the author of those commandments. They may think, well, that's just kind of a, that's just kind of a, a good thing to do. Of course, I shouldn't murder anybody. Of course, I wouldn't do that. And they sometimes see certain laws as being man-made or for the good of the community or the good of society, not as commandments. It is a commandments. It is a commandments cut. And it's never going to change because God is the author of it, that you only have sexual relations with your husband or wife. God's not going to change that commandment. That has not changed. It hasn't for 6,000 years, and it won't for another 6 million years. That's not going to change. God is the author of those commandments. If, if we minimize any of those uh, four points, uh, if we blame others, if we minimize our mistakes, if we don't see God as just being a God of love but a God of laws, if we discount his authorship of commandments, and those are huge impediments to repentance. But the one that stands out in our discussion today is minimizing our mistakes. And they're just too, too often, Scott, that uh, minimizing our mistakes keeps us from confessing. I think, I think it, it just really shuts us down from really taking the necessary, um, I, I refuse to use the word steps, from taking the necessary actions needed that will help us to, uh, to make things right. We're about halfway through the year, about halfway through the, uh, in, uh, the uh, course, so to speak. And here we are, we're talking about repentance, but we didn't start talking about repentance in the very beginning. We, we talked about other things in the very beginning. We talked about the fall and, and uh, how we should be grateful. Our identity. That. We talked about our identity and how our identity determines our, our eternity, you know, how we see ourselves and how we understand our preexistence and our relationship right. and our connection with Jesus Christ, even in the beginning. You know, and, and, then we, Critical. and then we recognize our own nothingness and his everything as we go to the garden of uh, Gethsemane and as we go to the cross and as we go to the, the uh, tomb and, and the tomb's empty. And it's because of his atonement that all of these things are able to happen. Now we're talking about repentance. We didn't start talking about repentance in the very beginning. We're, we're halfway in and now we talk about repentance. And the reason for that, I believe, is, is that we need to establish this connection with deity. We need to understand and feel his love and understand not just his love, but his laws and understand that even those laws are out of his love. And and, and once we come to that understanding and we really recognize, hey, our our real true own nothingness, we can all be great, you know, and and, and we can help each other and build each other up, but let's not confuse that with our own nothingness compared to his greatness, because there's nothing we can do to merit our return. Right, we are meritless. How do we get that return then? Is we do it through a qualification process, and that qualification process is a turning to him and away from things that aren't him, or in other words, repentance. And, you know, I had a conversation when we did this uh, this um, this this episode, so to speak, last, set, last season, 
And it was with somebody who had been in the church for all their lives, and this person was in their later season of life, 70s and or 80s. Mm-hmm. And this person told me, um, she said, Scott, I just didn't know how to repent every day. I keep track. I try to pay attention to my life. I try to pay attention to the things that I'm doing wrong. I try to pay attention to... Yeah, but the problem is, is I don't really feel like I'm doing all that much wrong, and and I and I can see that. I can see that sure. that can be a problem for people when we say sure. re- daily repentance is is a, an important part of our worship process. I can see how that can be. But when we understand that, you know, it's through our own nothingness, and because of that, and when we take a good, and this would be a, a, an invitation, early invitation. Elder Rendlin just gave us four barriers mm-hmm. to repentance, or impediments, you called them. Yeah, I think he called them, he actually. Called them. Uh, four impediments to repentance. Uh, and, and I love these. I love the uh, ones that Elder Anderson talks about, too, in the book. The roadblocks. The, the roadblocks, or the, bar- or the uh, twin bullies, right? Uh, and, but here we have you know, these four barriers, and if we go through these four barriers to repentance in our daily lives and take a real honest deep, searching, moral inventory of ourselves and how all of these things relate to us in our own lives. I think every single one of us find reason and uh, to be repenting or to be repentant, you know, so blaming others, minimizing our mistakes. <laughs> I, I, okay, I'm guilty already. Right. Right? I'm we both of those. We all are. I'm guilty already. But then we continue on thinking that our sins don't matter because God loves us. I have... I have bought into that. I don't today, but I have bought into that. You know, oh, he loves me. I know uh, a lot of great people uh, who have yeah. been in the church who are not participating in the church today through covenantal um, relationship, etc. And one of these in particular, that a man that I have loved all my life, but has said, you know, um, I just don't see a loving God keeping me out of heaven because <laughs> I, I drink, I drink alcohol sometimes. I just can't see a loving God won't let me be with my family because uh, you know or whatever and, and and we and we see all of those things it just god i can't see a loving god being that way we hear that even a lot. though that's a direct contradiction to the uh, word of god the enemy can construe this stuff in our minds make totally. them work for us we see it in society right our culture is really <laughs> just look at your uh, just look on any social media turn on the news turn on you don't have to look very far our culture right now scott's really confused about this that they they just refuse to see the authority or the the uh, the part of God that uh, requires him to enforce laws. Well, and then this uh, fourth one, d- dismissing sin by discounting God's authorship of the commandments. I, I don't get that because, I, I mean, I understand that that's out there, right? Yeah. I just don't understand how somebody can buy into that because either God is or he isn't. Yeah. And if God is, then those commandments... I mean, come on, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So, and again, referring back to your your experience with a an older woman who just doesn't think that she's uh, sinning. Part of the problem is that she sees, and and all of us see repentance as something we do after we have done something really bad, right? But we do things bad every day, and it's not just it's not just things that we do, right, Scott? Really, repentance it, repentance should include things we feel, inappropriate feelings, inappropriate thoughts. Yeah, uh, it's really repentance is the acknowledging or confessing 
that we're just human. Let's dial this in a little bit, too, because sometimes when we talk about inappropriate feelings and inappropriate thoughts, I think just by nature, a lot of us go to, okay, I'm having a thought that's inappropriate in a sexual matter manner, for example. That's not all we're talking about. Inappropriate thoughts can be driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, and the assassination that you just committed in your own mind towards that person, those can also be there. And it's almost impossible to separate thoughts from feelings. Our feelings come from from those. Inappropriate thoughts cause inappropriate emotions. Right. It's really impossible to separate those. Yeah. Yeah. But... I know Satan puts inappropriate thoughts in our mind, yeah. and we're not guilty of anything when that happens. No. But because we're human, because we're fallen, he does have power over us. We are all fallen. We are all carnal. We are all sensual and devilish because he has some power over the flesh. He just does. That's who we are. We're humans, and we should not ignore that. We we don't need to cry about it. And we don't it's, need to beat ourselves up over it either. It's part of the plan. Right. It was part of God's plan that we come out, come down here and that we be tempted and that we be tried. And we are every day. Yeah. Every day we're tempted with inappropriate thoughts. But how long you choose to let them stay, or if you at all feed them, and I think that most of us do every day, then we sin. Yeah, And we also, if we allow those thoughts, Scott, to become inappropriate emotions and affect our hearts, because that's the center of our emotions, at least in the, in the word of the Lord, that if our hearts become now hardened or influenced in negative ways by negative thoughts, if we allow the thoughts in our mind to go to the center of our heart, we've sinned. We have sinned, and we all do every day. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think inappropriate fear, inappropriate pride, uh, there's just so many. All of the, not just the sins of commission that we need to repent of, but the sins of omission. Yeah. Did we do what we were prompted to do? Did we read our scriptures as we've been asked to? Did we say our prayers morning, evening, and night? as Amulek exhorts us to. Did we do everything that the prophets have asked us to do? Have you ever, at one day in your life, done that, Scott? No. And here's the other thing. A lot of times we will be thinking of, okay, in my daily inventory process, and I know that's more formal for some than others, but as I go through this daily inventory process and I I reflect on my day at the end of the day, for example, if I reflect on my day, and if I'm just really having a hard time seeing where those sins are that I need to repent for, here's, here's a way to do it. If I go back and I can identify any part of my day where the Spirit was not with me, or was not allowed to be with me because of my attitude, because of my actions, because of my speech, because of whatever, well, then I know, because that's how we know. If the Spirit is, you know, we, when we take the sacrament, that His Spirit might always be with them. Yeah. You know, if, our, if His Spirit yes. is not with us on a constant yes. basis, then we know that there's sin that needs to be repented of, or, or there's worship that needs to be fine-tuned, and we need to turn even with more intent and a greater degree to face the sun so that those things that are in our lives, feelings, attitudes, whatever, that we, we can't control but he can remove from our lives is by turning to him that that can finally happen. Yeah. And it's got just kind of as a matter of doctrine and my own feeling 
an opinion on this. I when we say that the Holy Ghost is our constant companion, I I, I believe that for the most yeah, part. Right. I really do. I believe that he he is largely most days uh almost always he's my constant companion. But when I don't feel him that's the point. When I don't acknowledge him, when I'm not when I'm not uh, being receptive or I'm not responding yeah. appropriately to his uh, promptings and inspiration that comes to me, if he prompts me, hey, hey, go go help your wife with the crying baby. If I don't respond to that, I've sinned, and we all do that every day. If 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 I if I don't respond to the prompting, turn off the television, get off your phone. If if I don't respond to those promptings, I have sinned. And now I don't think any of those would qualify me to lose the Holy Ghost as my companion, mm-hmm. right? Because I really believe the Holy Ghost is our constant companion. If we're striving, and we're not committing any major major sins in, in our life. But confessing, Scott, is an important manifestation that we are striving, that we are repenting, that we are worshiping. And I think we should be confessing daily. And if you really want to find power in the confessing of sin, and we're talking mostly right now confessing to God, we'll talk about confessing to a church priesthood leader or uh, to the church in a minute. But if I really want to find power in confessing to God, I should, I should try to be as specific as possible. Not just confessing my sins in the general, but I should, I should really take an inventory of my daily life. And if I really do want to change something, I think it can be really powerful when we confess that we are dealing with certain habitual uh, erroneous thinking or allowing certain thoughts to dominate our life or certain fears, certain emotions that dominate our life and confess those to God and to ask him to forgive us and to help and strengthen us to overcome not just our sins but our weakness as well and to acknowledge those in some specificity if we can, not just in the generality um, a little golf analogy. I know that as much as I love golf and as many, many years I've been at the driving range and, and, um, I'm trying to practice to be better like we do in life. That if I, if I, if I just go through the motions, if I just go to the driving range to hit balls, I mean that, that can be, I love that. And it is a great release in my life, and it it releases tension and stress, and I really feel I really feel pretty good about that. But I could go hit a hundred balls a day, and not necessarily become much better if I haven't really f- focused on what is the purpose of my practice, and what are, where is my weakness, and how can I get better? Even even specifically, Scott. Uh, focus on one club at a time, maybe a a weakness or a sin at a time, or to focus. 
even when I even when you look at the ball, I just got to tell you from my own experience and everything I've learned, when when people look at the ball to hit the ball, if they don't feel, focus on a dot on the ball, they're not really looking at the ball. They're just kind of seeing it generally. They're not really focused on it. And uh, I just think focus uh, is a really important part of our maybe improving, uh, becoming better, uh, which is a lifetime uh, experience. We, again, we should never shame ourselves for all of our imperfections. We, God knew we would, we would never would be perfect. God knew that we would sin every day. The prophets sin every day. We all sin every day. Uh, so there's, there shouldn't be any sh- shaming in all of this, but we can choose to change how we focus and how we see our lives and to develop a, a plan of improvement and progression by, by focusing uh, on some of our weakness and some of our sins. And that it helps us to do that by confessing them to God and asking for help in those specific things. When we talk about focusing on our sins and focusing on our worship through repentance to eliminate the sins in our lives, you know, our focus isn't in our, on our sin. Our focus is on Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's important that we understand that. And, and you know, it is it is important that we pay attention and we give specific attention to whatever it is that we're trying to eradicate from our lives. But yes. it's also important for us to realize there's no amount of personal focus that will do that. But if we focus on him, then, yes. then all of that can be eliminated. And so I, it's also important that as we're going through the repentance process— that we realize and, and, and we maintain that focus on Jesus Christ and his power that comes to us through his atonement as we go through the entire repentance process. That's where our focus needs to be. Thank you, Scott. And true. Amen. And um, it kind of goes back to the original idea when we start talking about repentance is do we believe that I can change or do we believe that we can be changed? There's a big difference in that perspective, Scott. Do I, I think I can change me? Well, I there is power. This is uh, in Doctrine and Covenants. There is power within ourselves. We know that as sons and daughters of God. We are innately celestial material. We have the Spirit of God in our lives, the offspring of God. We, there is power within us to make changes in our lives. But there is a certain amount of humility uh, when we when we think of the perspective, it's not so much that I can change. Uh, I want to focus on Jesus Christ, that I can be changed mm-hmm. through Him, through His atoning blood, through His suffering. I can be changed. I can tap in. If I can tap in to the power of Jesus Christ through His atonement. There is so much more power in that approach and perspective than in the approach and perspective that there's power within me, and I just gotta, yeah. I just gotta kind of buck up here, and right. I gotta toughen it out, and I can change, and I know I can do this. Yeah. I th- there's no real humility in that, Scott. So, well, so that you're right. The focus uh, always should be on Jesus Christ yeah. in this process, and, and there's not only 
no real humility there, but it's erroneous. It's an erroneous um, act. Yeah, it's false. To, it's, it's completely wrong for us to try and do that way because there's no power in that. Well, now, I, I we've said this too before, Scott. People can change. Yeah. Atheists can change. Sure. Agnostics can change. Sure. We're talking about Muslims, Buddhists, so. yeah. all them can change. There is power within man to make changes, positive changes. Absolutely. In their lives. But we're not just talking about changes. No, we're not. We're talking about redemption. We're talking about reconciliation. We're talking about a relationship with heaven. Yep. And we we cannot do that just by gritting our teeth and and hang and enduring to the end. Yeah, much to the chagrin of uh, a lot of us, right? I mean, because we we grow up, and let's you know, you and I were kind of raised the same, and you know, and it's not wrong, but we were raised in a way that's you know what, just buck up, go yeah, toughen it out, toughen it out, you know, go make it different. You're it's up to you, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. That's right. Uh, and and, and there and there's certain power in that. Don't get me wrong, and it's important, you know. But there's there is power in positive thinking. There is power in commitment. There is power in trying to make our own lives right. But we're are talking about worship through repentance here, yeah. and, and so if, if we're if we're really going to approach worship through repentance or repentance as a process of worship, if we're really going to do that, then we really, really, we really need to understand that it's through His power, not our own power, right. that this worship and that this repentance process. And remember too that you know again, repentance is a full turning to Him, and in our full True. turning to Completely. Him. In our full turning to him, we need him to help us precipitate that full turning to him. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we need his help all along the way. Yeah. From the beginning to the end. And that's part of that enabling power that comes to us because of his atonement. And uh, and that is all part of, uh, I think, humility. And humility plays such an important role in all this. Well, let's turn to uh, confession to the church uh, and talk about that. Scott, because I think when people think confession, that's what they think of, and I think that's wrong, but that's that's kind of where their mind goes. Sure. And I hope that uh, uh, forever, the, for the rest of our lives, that we won't just think of confessing to the church, but we'll, con- we'll think of confessing to God and confessing our needs. Um, so in uh, Mosiah chapter 26, Scott, uh, speaking to Alma, you know, who now the high priest of the church and is struggling to know how to help the church progress, um, knowing that there's lots of sinners. In verse 29 of Mosiah chapter 26, if you want to read that, please. Therefore I say unto you, Go, and whosoever transgresseth against me, him shall ye judge according to the sins which he has committed. And if he confess his sins before thee and me and repenteth in the sincerity of his heart, him shall ye forgive, and I will forgive him also. And verse 30 is also great. Yea, and as often as my people will repent, I will forgive them of their trespasses against me. That's such a great truth, so hopeful. Such a great hopeful doctrine that as often as people repent, him will I, God, forgive them their trespasses against me. I mean, I mean, there's a God of love and a God of law, right? Yeah. That repentance is a law. It is a commandment. And he is a God of love because as often as we keep that commandment and as often as we repent, 
he will he will forgive. So I I really love that. And uh, when it comes to confession to, in, to the church, uh, there are certain men who have been set apart, who have been get, given certain keys and and powers and gifts, rights and privileges, uh, responsibility to hear sin. I've been I've been blessed to be able to be in that position from time to time throughout my life uh, where others have confessed to me, which is, I, I think, such a miraculous process because it's, it's really amazing, Scott, how many times I receive confessions at the Missionary Training Center and, and how those things, there, there's a certain mantle about that. And uh, it, the, the bishop is called the common judge in Israel. I mean, he has the keys uh, to be able to hear certain confessions, to hear confessions from from uh, all kinds of confessions, but it it has to be to either the bishop or the stake president. It right. can't be it can't be to the young men's president. Can't be to the young women's president. It it can't be to the elders quorum president. Uh, it can't be to the relief side president. It has to be the bishop, and why? Why so, Scott? Well, it, this is a great question. So, you know, in my in my, it's not a position, but in my involvement with recovery uh, circles, Alcoholics Anonymous, and others, uh, you know, there's there's a process that we go through, twelve steps that we go through. And one of those steps is uh, the fifth step, and it, so we do a fourth step, which is we take a personal inventory, we write it out, and we, uh, you know, everything. Uh, and then the fifth step is, is we share that inventory. And these are the things that we've done wrong, and these are the resentments that we have, and these are the things that have been done wrong to us, and it can be quite extensive. It's semi-frequent that as you're, as uh, I go through this process, and this is not a confession process. This has nothing to do with... Uh, it actually has indirect, a lot to do indirectly with their progression spiritually. But this is really just about uh, the uh, steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, etc. But when we go through that step or that process, there's been more than one occasion when, you know, I, I'm doing that with people who are members of the church who subscribe to the same belief system that we do, who because of that and because of their, it's important that we may in, in, that we have integrity as we do that. It's yeah. important that they go through the, uh, the repentance process as well. And, and it's been asked of me on many occasions, more than I can probably count, why do I need to go talk to my bishop about this now? And it's a really important question because yes. I've asked that same thing. You know, why do I need to go through this humiliation process? Why do I have to? Mm-hmm. And we see it wrong yeah. when we see it that way. Yeah. Because, you know, there are certain things. Uh, as we have gone through so far this part of the course, and we've talked about the atonement of Jesus Christ and the, the many powers, but three main ones that come to us because of his atonement, one of those is an enabling or strengthening power. For me, there's just certain sins, Dave, that I can't, I could not, I, I'm, you know, I'm weak, I'm the natural man, but there's no way that I could resor- resist certain things if it wasn't through that enabling power. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If I didn't have the power to keep certain commandments, the power that was given to me through his atonement, then I wouldn't be able to keep certain commandments. I just wouldn't. That's the natural man in me, and maybe many of us are the same way. Well, when the bishop is uh, set apart as a bishop and ordained to that office, which is a priesthood office, there are certain keys that he gets. 
And and some of those priesthood keys that he has is the key to turn the power of the enabling power of Jesus Christ through his atonement in our lives to help us better keep the commandments. So mm-hmm. sometimes that confession probably more times than we realize. That confession isn't just to go in there and, you know, spew our problems and spew our mistakes, but it's to go in there seeking for strength to help to overcome those problems, to seek for priesthood power that the bishop has the ability to turn that key in our behalf through that confession process to give us more power to keep the commandments from Heavenly Father. Well, I love that, Scott. Priesthood keys uh, is power. Yep. There is power uh, in those priesthood keys. And um, and there's another part of this that's so important, and uh, that is that the bishop has keys to determine one's worthiness to participate in the ordinances of the gospel. And in the ordinances, this is DNC Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, uh, verses 20 through 22. And it's in the ordinances of the gospel that the powers of godliness are manifest. So if the bishop has keys over the ordinances of the gospel, bishops and stake presidents and apostles and prophets, they have given them keys, and they have keys to administer over the ordinances of the gospel. And it's in the ordinances that the power of godliness is manifest, which Elder Bednar has said that the powers of godliness is the atonement of Jesus Christ. That We've talked about this before, Scott, that whenever anyone participates in any ordinance of the gospel, whether it's one of the five saving ordinances of the gospel, baptism, Holy Ghost, uh, temple blessings and ordinances, or if it's being healed from the sick or participating in the in the uh, giving a priesthood blessing or receiving a priesthood blessing or receiving a patriarchal blessing or giving a patriarchal blessing or, or even taking the sacrament taking the sacrament for sure is is critical uh whenever we participate in any ordinance of the gospel we receive the blessings and powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life, if we do so worthily. If we were, and now, sin, that, that doesn't mean we're without sin. Right. There that, we're, we're, I don't think we're quite ever free in this world as humans from sin. But if we are worthy enough, and that's what a bishop and a stake president who has keys is able to discern that if we are worthy enough to participate in the ordinances of the gospel, and we do receive the ordinances of the gospel or participate in the ordinances, we then experience the powers of godliness in our life, which is the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life, which is the forgiveness of sin and all of the redemptive, not just enabling powers, but all of the redemptive powers because of the atonement of Jesus Christ flow into our life. So that's why we need to confess to a a bishop or stake president who has priesthood keys. That's the order, Scott, of the church. That's the order of God's church, his kingdom. So we've established that we need to confess to now 
confess to proper church authority. But what sins do we need to confess? When, when I was at the Missionary Training Center, that was always a discussion, a topic. Uh, and uh, w- they would always go back to a statement made many, many years ago by President Marion G. Romney, counselor in the First Presidency, counselor to uh, President Kimball. And they would always go back to a quote by President Romney, which was that if anyone commits any criminal behavior, if anyone commits a crime, or if anyone commits any moral transgressions that would put them in a position where they were not worthy to receive the ordinances of the gospel, or where their membership in the church may be in question, those were the sins that had to be confessed to the proper priesthood authority to determine one's worthiness to participate in the ordinance of the gospel. So I, I think sometimes, Scott, we can understate, sometimes maybe we overstate, uh, what we need to confess to the proper priesthood authority. Most sins can just be confessed to the Lord. And uh, if we do that in some specific manner, accepting full responsibility, being blameless, not blaming others, taking full responsibility for our mistakes, our sins, our weakness, and then uh, uh, confess to him and ask for his forgiveness, usually that's sufficient. But if one does anything, breaks any crimes, breaks any moral laws that may put their membership in question, or that if if publicly became known, then would cause damage even to the church. Uh, ultimately, Scott, the church is concerned about the salvation and redemption of the individual, right? They're concerned about the victims. They're, that That's a critical part of what goes into whether there's going to be a membership council or not. Uh, you know, how's how does it affect the salvation or redemption of an individual? How are victims, are there any victims in this? And are victims going to be affected? And the integrity of the church. And if any three of those, right, are in question, then one has to, needs to, should run to the bishop to confess them. And um, I think that's... uh, this is an important truth that we understand what confession is and kind of what it's not. And, Scott, the, the last thing is that the Lord, going back to the scripture we began with, Doctrine and Covenants section 58, 42, and 43, by this, in other words, the sign of one's repentance, manifestation of one's repentance, is that he will confess them hopefully out of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and he will forsake them. And uh, we, we will get to the forsaking. Maybe I'll end today with just a story from, it's in Elder Anderson's book, a uh, quote from Elder David A. Bednar about uh, understanding lot, a little bit about confession. A lot of our listeners have the book. What page are you going to be on this here? page 136. Okay. Um, Elder Bednar says, When I was president of BYU-Idaho, I spoke with a bishop, and he shared this experience. He had received a confession from a young person who said, 
quote, I was involved in immorality Friday night. You are the last thing on my list. Now that I have confessed to you, I feel great. Elder Bednar then explained, that is not repentance. It cannot really be repentance unless it involves the Redeemer, even if a person confesses. This was a confession with no regard for the Redeemer. So again, as we kind of conclude our discussion of what confession is and what it's not, the focus has to be on the Redeemer and our relationship with him. That's why we do it. We don't, we don't confess our sins ultimately to make the church better or to even to, to make me feel better. Uh, confession should be because I want to be better in my relationship with Jesus Christ and draw closer to him. That's, that should be the focus, and that's what repentance is. Well, when, uh, when each of us approaches the uh, worship process we call repentance, I love how, the, the, Dave, you kind of positioned that for us today as a worship process, too. But as, you know, as we approach this worship process that we call repentance, one of the things that can be scary, and it just can be for some people uh, and for those who don't really understand, can be this confession process. And, and so I, I'm going to invite us uh, all this week that as we consider our lives, as we consider our worship through repentance, as we consider how are we coming to him through repentance, are we really putting him at the center of it, as Dave just uh, mentioned there? But also, uh, are, we, are we really seeing it as Jesus Christ as the center of it? Because if we are, you know, then the, the confession just helps us draw closer to him. We, what, some of the barriers, again, that I'll add that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sometimes see be, that, that will keep us from confession is what will other people think of me? You know, we really, in our society, in our culture, we really have a, and I think it's been that way in all cultures and societies throughout the history of the world and will be forever and ever until, the, until that uh, glorious day of the uh, ushering in of the millennium. But until then... Um, you know, we, we will struggle against that. Let's, let's take this week, let's change our focus on repentance to worship through repentance, worship through repentance to draw us closer to him and putting him in the center of all that we do. And as we do that, I promise this, and, and, I, and, I, and I can make this promise because it's been doctrinally given to us through our prophets and apostles and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the Doctrine and Covenants, that as we do this, he'll draw closer to us and we will feel his redeeming powers, Dave. Amen, Scott. And that's a daily choice. Thanks so much for being with us again today. Uh, I love, I, I know that many of you love also the things that we're talking about here and how I feel the Spirit and how it draws me closer to Him. May we focus on that this week as we focus on our worship through repentance. That'd be our prayer. Uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. And until then, have a great week, everybody.